Welcome to another Maramara Baptist Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message from Declan Smith. Who's excited this morning? Yeah, good. And I hope that last Sunday, as we just took this moment together as a, as a bird's eye moment to go, okay, this is what the Gospel of John is about. That it, that it, hopefully that it did something in you, that you're like, actually, yes, the story of Jesus, his gospel is, is good news, and it's exciting, and we go, when we hear something that's good and it's exciting, what do we do with that? We get on the phone, right? It reminded us last week, right? We share that thing with others. Maybe you took my challenge seriously last week, and I won't get you to raise your hand, right? Because... You know, but maybe you did, and you're like, you know what? The gospel is that good of a news that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a commitment this week to share that with someone. Um, and maybe you're here today, right? And, and, I, and I say this with all utter seriousness. Maybe you're here today because someone this week told you about the good news, right? And you look at that seat beside you, and you go, that could be filled next week because I got that excited about the good news that I decided to tell someone about it. And it said, come and hear more about the good news with me. And let's do it, get on this journey together because it's that good. It's that exciting because that's what John wants to do, right? We thought about John's purpose last week. Do we remember what that was? The purpose of John's gospel? Exactly, that you may believe, right? This is what we read in John 31. It's about convincing us, isn't it? But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the purpose of John's gospel, that we might believe. And it's that belief that drives us to then share that with others. We believe and that gives us courage. We believe and we invite. So we've had the preamble, we've got our bearings, we know what John is going to be on about. So now let's jump in to the story of Jesus as told by John. And I realized that I forgot to introduce myself. I know Nigel said it briefly, but oh, hi, if you don't know me, I'm Declan and I'm the pastor here. And that's why it's my great privilege to be able to share with us this morning. But with any good story, because the the Gospel of John ultimately is the story of Jesus, right? With any good story, it starts with an introduction. And I know that last week I introduced John's Gospel, and now we're looking at the introduction of John's Gospel, and it's a bit like introduction, inception. You're like, ah, what's going on? Right? That is what it is. But any any introduction, which is the introduction we're going to look at John today, is always going to try and serve two purposes right? The first purpose is it's going to let us know who the characters in this thing are, who we're going to learn about and who we're going to see develop throughout the course of the story. And then the second purpose of an intro is to highlight what we can expect in the story, what we can expect is going to happen, right? Movies do this intro thing spectacularly, right? You think of like the real iconic movies, right? Star Wars Episode Four. There's this powerful moment, right, where the 
where the, um, the Star Destroyer is flying in and flying over Yavin 4 and all of you are eye-rolling. You're like, oh, flip, he's a nerd. Sorry, you're going to have to get over it today, right? The de- and it's coming in and then, this, and then we see this battle on the ship and, and, and these sort of faceless dudes in white suits are fighting, fighting the brave rebels and, and there's a little bit of a battle. We immediately see who's who. We get an expectation that the story is going to be about good versus evil. And we get to understand a little bit about what's going on, that it's going to be in space and there's going to be laser guns and robots and weird plastic suits that don't actually protect anybody, right? But we we know what's going to happen and we see this all in about 30 seconds at the beginning of the movie. But then we also have that iconic moment, don't we, where we introduce arguably the most, you know, famous villain in all of cinema history. The music rises and through the smoke steps Darth Vader, right? And I watched this scene again this week. All we hear is there's no lines, there's no interaction. He just steps in, he looks at a couple dead guys on the ground and he walks through the frame. And immediately, we understand everything we need to know about this person. He is the very essence of evil, callous, hard, emotionless, right? The the faceless machine of death and destruction. We get it all in about two seconds flat. And this opening stanza of John's Gospel and you might think this is sacrilege to compare John's gospel to Star Wars, but just stick with me. Because John sets his story up the same way. John wants to paint very quickly a very vibrant, expressive, detailed picture of his main character in his gospel, Jesus. He wants us to immediately feel things about him. And he also wants to paint really clear expectations of what we're going to see Jesus do in the story. He uses all sorts of imagery and poetic language to give us a really, really clear picture. Perhaps even more clear than we might see with Darth Vader in Star Wars. And it seems like a tall task to be able to sort of outlive that moment, right, of Darth Vader walking in. But John is really up to the task. Because the way that the writer of John goes about this is also really in parallel to any Star Wars movie, right? Because at the movie, the beginning of the movie, we have this moment, right? And this music blares and the, and the, and the thing plays and we, and we get this sense of the story, this background story that's going to set the scene for us to jump in. And it always begins the same way, doesn't it? a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And the writer of John uses a very similar literary device to to get us into the story of how he's going to paint this picture of what's going to happen as his gospel plays out. And it's one thing for us to sit, and you you can have your Bibles, we're going to be at the very beginning of John, John chapter 1, and we're going to engage with that this morning. Um, And it's one thing to sit and read it, but I think we might miss some of the magnitude of this moment that John is trying to create for us, the power in it, when we just look at it as words on a page. So instead, can we have a moment to experience these words together, if you'll allow me a little moment of artistic license? Um, 
how I imagine John might, would have had us experience the beginning of his gospel if he were presenting it in 2024. I think this is probably how he might begin. You're like, come on. Right? But isn't that, like, isn't that the power of the gospel? It should be, like, it should have that sort of moment for us. That's what John is trying to do. He's trying to go, this is like the greatest moment in history. And so that's how he wants to begin it for us. So let's jump in. First three words there that we saw, that we see in the Gospel of John, you'll have it with you, are really, really important. In the beginning. These are written because John is trying to point us to something that the readers of the Gospel originally would would already know, would already have handles for. Anytime you go and see Star Wars, you know you're going to see that line at the beginning, right? And you know what it's going to bring up for you. And John's doing the same thing. He puts in the beginning because he knows immediately where everybody's minds are going to go. And where are the the first century Greek readers of this going to go? They're going to go back to the very beginning of the Bible, right? To Genesis 1, in the beginning. John's used that phrase on purpose, and he uses it because he wants us to think of that moment, because he wants us to tell, some, tell us something. He wants to reveal something of the character of Jesus in his story by pointing to something. Because he says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So John tells us of this person called the Word. John alone, and and only in this sort of 14 or 15 verses at the front of his gospel, uses this, this term, the Word, to describe Jesus. And we know that it's Jesus because a little bit later in verse 14, he tells us that it's Jesus, right? He says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John is connecting this title, Son, that lots of people in Jesus himself referred to himself as, to the person, the Word. Because John wants us to realize, as he begins his gospel, that Jesus, the Son of God, didn't just show up on the scene miraculously, sort of, you know, two, three, however many thousand years into the story at the beginning of that moment. He was there always, in the beginning, right? Before anything was created, Jesus was. That's what John's trying to get us to understand. There with God, while the earth was formless and empty, and the darkness was over the surface of the deep. There the Word was, while the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. The first verse in John could be translated, in the beginning the Word was already there, just as God the Father, you know our image that we have of an old dude with a white beard and a lightning bolt, right? We know he sort of floats on the outside of time. John says, so does Jesus. John is saying in in no uncertain terms here, Jesus is eternal. And that we might go, okay, cool, Jesus is eternal. But this is really valuable, important information for the reader. 
We're, we're encouraged to pay attention to Jesus. John is trying to encourage us to pay attention to the story of Jesus because he's not just some guy, but he's intrinsically tied to, as we'd say in Te Reo Māori, Io Matua Kore, the uncreated supreme being, his, our heavenly Father, right? Jesus isn't just a messenger of God, though he is. He's not just an angel or a prophet. He's not just something, but he is the Son of God, and indeed God himself, because he says the word was God. And that line is sort of a little bit confusing, right? Can we put it up again, that previous slide? The word was God, and the word was with God, and the word was with God in the beginning. Like, it's like, what, what is actually going on here? And, and it's a little confusing, and we're going to dig into a little bit of idea of Trinity again, but um, it, the line itself, when it says the word was God, does cause a little bit of sort of tension. Um, if you've ever had a Jehovah's Witness come in and visit you at your door, and you engage with them um, on some elements of Scripture, the Bible will say something different. The Bible will say, Jesus, the word was a God. And that means something entirely different, right? And I don't want to get into the whole debate about what we believe versus what um, Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Um, but there has been some scholarship on, on the word that's used for God there. Uh, people trying to discern, is, is, is this a big G, big G, right? God, God? Or is it little G, like a God, like whatever? Um, and and in, in, in its sort of singularity by itself, yes, the Greek isn't entirely clear. But I want you to know that we don't obviously just look at one word and go, well, that then must mean a God, it must mean little g God, and Jesus isn't God, right? Because John's whole language here around how he's talking about the fact that Jesus was there in the beginning and all these other attributes that we're going to see together, John is trying to make us understand really carefully that Jesus is big G God, right? He's trying to unpack to the reader because he's going to use this term a lot of, the, you know, where Jesus calls himself the son. And he's trying to unpack that idea for people to go, well, if, if he's the son of God, how can he be God? And that whole thing is sort of a little bit confusing, and so that's why John uses this title, Word, to describe Jesus, as opposed to just say, Jesus was the Son of God, and here we go. Because in using that title, Word, John points to a distinct part of God, that singular, uncreated, supreme being, and shows us that He was there at the very moment of creation. Because when we think about that, those first couple of verses in, in Genesis, they're not there, but right, we, we read about God and we read about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. But then in verse 3 of Genesis, happen, something happens. It says, God said, right? God said, let there be light. When we speak, we don't just speak babble, we speak words, right? And those words are our words. They are intrinsically us. They are our thoughts. They carry our essence, but at the same time, they are also their own thing, right? My words get recorded and then they get put up on Spotify the next week so you can listen. And 
that thing that floats there in the ether of the internet is not me, but it is me, right? It's confusing and hard to understand, but but we we can understand it conceptually, even though it's a little bit confusing. And that's why John uses this idea of word because he's, he's trying to paint a picture for the readers of something they can get their heads around to understand this complicated relationship that Jesus is God, but he's also the Son of God. Now, I know it's a little bit of deciphering for us, but for the, for the first century Greek audience, this was, this was sort of clear as mud, what John was trying to get across. Jesus is God. He is God's word, God's essence, not just the Son of God, which He is, but at the same time, God, right? In in, in a weird way, it's a bit like Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader, right? They're the same person, but they're also really not, right? And you're just eye-rolling at me already. You're sick of it. But this this is what John's trying to paint a picture for us. And so, so far in John's introduction, we've already discovered two things about Jesus. Number one, Jesus is eternal, that he was there from the beginning. And number two, that he is divine, that he is God, that he's one with God, and that he also has a distinct identity as the Son of God. And we're also going to see two more things about um, Jesus' character that John's going to try and explore for us. And just like in any good movie intro, he's doing this so that then as we dig into the story of John, that we're going to see these understandings of who Jesus is at play. We're going to see John saying, this is who Jesus is, and now here's all the proof in my story that I've written for you, that I've recorded so that you go, oh yeah, Jesus really is who John is saying at the very beginning. That he is. Firstly, we're going to see in, in verse 3 there of, of John chapter 1. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing has been made that has been made. If we um, choose to, to believe God and to follow him, we believe that, that God is the creator of the universe. We, we believe that this didn't happen by accident. We believe that at, in some way, God had his complete hand over making this earth and the stars and the sky and everything in it come to be. And we read about that in Genesis. And now that John has made clear Jesus was there in Genesis and he is the word, we can recognize exactly what he's saying here. John is saying the son of God Jesus shares in the work of creation with the Father, just as they share that eternal divine nature of being God. And on the surface, might not feel like much. Okay, Jesus is creator. Cool. Big whoop, right? But think of the implications for a second. John in his gospel will unfold the story of Jesus as our saviour, right? The one who's going to come, who has come to restore the world from its sin through his death. And for that to mean anything, for Jesus to actually be that, 
for it to make any change to our lives, we have to believe that Jesus actually has the power and the authority to do that. Michael Eaton, in, in his branch exposition, says this, and I just, I just want to quote it because it makes the most sense to me. If all things were made by him, the divine word, then he has total power to be our saviour. Nothing can possibly take us from him because everything there, in the, there is in the universe is something that he made, something whose workings are entirely familiar to him since he was the one who brought the workings into being. We cannot have a greater or a better saviour than to have the creator as saviour. John wants to highlight Jesus as the agent of creation so that we can trust his saving grace that John is going to tell us about. Because he has the power to save us. If Jesus was just little G God and he died for his sins, cool. People die for other people all the time. But his death, and only his death has the power to save the world because he is big G God who created that world. He has power and authority over it. That's what John is trying to get the people to understand. And then John says that not only things were made, that everything was created because of Jesus, but life came from Jesus too. We read that in verse 4. In him was life. And that life was the light for all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The reality here is Jesus is Geppetto, the creator, the maker of Pinocchio and the Blue Fairy, right? The one who grants his wish and, and, and turns Pinocchio into a real boy, right? God, Jesus is both of those things. He's present, directly involved in the creation of the world, and also, as it says in John 4, life that brings light to all of creation. Life is, is a really important theme in the book of John, as we're going to discover. John speaks a, a lot of this idea of eternal life, which is his way of describing what living under the new kingdom of Jesus will be like. And he's using this wording on purpose to highlight the similarities between creation and this moment that Jesus has come. John is telling us that in creation, Jesus was the source of all life for humanity, human life. And now that Jesus has come and made his dwelling among us, as he says in verse 14, he comes with the life of God, this eternal life. The story of creation here is used in John's intro to make sure that we are going to be looking out for the story of the new creation, the story of salvation, with more life, with new life, with eternal life, through Jesus the life giver, as it unfolds throughout these these verses. Remember, John's purpose is not just that we see it as a story, but that we get a hold 
of the story of Jesus and we choose to believe it and that we may have life in his name. And so the question for us then becomes today, as John lays it out, this is what I'm going to try and convince you of. That Jesus is eternal, that he's one, that he's divine, that he's the son of God, that he is God. That he's present in all of creation, that he's the giver of life. The question is, are we going to believe that? It's one thing to have, to have enough faith to perhaps believe that Jesus was a real person and that he came and that he did amazing things and that his teachings are worth following, right? We might have enough faith to believe that he died as some kind of cosmic sacrifice on our behalf. We might have enough faith even to believe that he was sent from God and that God gave up something that he dearly loved so that we could be restored. But John's intro calls us to believe even more than that, that Jesus is God, his very essence, and that God himself, the creator of the universe, the word, as it says in verse 14, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That God would choose to reveal himself and his glory of grace and truth by coming and being present with humanity. I mean, that's a whole lot more of a scandalous, amazing story than just some dude saving the world with a blue laser sword and a bit of luck, right? And that's what John is trying to achieve as he begins his gospel. His intro serves as a sign. You know of this God. And John's made it very clear that the premise, that that part of God's nature, the Word, was present and active from the very beginning in creation. And now John says that he has come in human form, And this book that he writes, the Gospel of John, will serve as that proof of all the things that I've reminded you of God is you're going to see it play out in the story. His power, his creation, his life-giving, his grace and his truth, God's glory. You will see Jesus embody in the story. And John hopes that will cause us to believe, not that Jesus was just good and smart and we should believe what he says, but that he is God. And when we choose to believe that, when we accept that life that he offers, we receive him. Right? We receive the word, the essence of God embodied in his son Jesus. It dwells among us. Right? As Luke Skywalker says, may the word be with you. Right? That's John's hope for us. So for some here today, you might not believe. And reading these words on a page, or all of the Star Wars metaphors aren't doing any sort of convincing for you. The great joy is that in verse 5 of John 1, John points 
to what is actually going to do the convincing for you. Nothing that I say, I can share the story with you. I can tell you that I believe it. Nothing that I say is going to actually make the change for you. John says in him, in the word, in Jesus was life. And that life was the light for all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The ultimate shiner of the truth, the ultimate convincer is Jesus himself. So you're in the, if you're in that space of unbelief, that's okay. If you're in that space of doubt, we all have doubts in times of periods of, Christian, of our Christian walk. We're like, ah, oh, not really sure. The rubber's hitting the road now. I'm not actually really sure that this is all real. That's okay. We'd like to um, provide an opportunity to just to pray with you today. Not that somehow our prayers would convince you that God is real, but rather that Jesus would choose to shine his light into your life, that he would reveal himself to you. We believe that he's already given us life, right? That's why we live and breathe and walk around. And so we pray that God would make himself even more real to you, that he would shine his light as John says. And as we're going to take some time to sing and and share in communion, the elders will be around. And if you want to receive prayer for that, you're like, maybe maybe I, I, I could perhaps ask that God would maybe reveal himself to me. I'd encourage you to come, and we would love to pray for you. But for the rest of us, may this also serve as a reminder, right? We believe that Jesus is who he said he is. But sometimes we forget that we believe it. For us as followers of Jesus, coming back to the gospel, and you're going to probably be worn out by the time we get to the end of John's gospel, but the whole point of coming back is that we are to remind ourselves of who and what we believe, and that that is vital for us just to get on and live the life that God has called us to. How does really believing that Jesus is eternal affect your life? It means he's still going to be there tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. How does believing that the one who saves us from our sin is one with God, that he is divine, that he is the creator of all life. How does that change how we praise God when we realize that God didn't just pull something out of his pocket that he liked and give it away so that we could be made whole, but that he actually gave a piece of himself, his one and only son, for that to happen? How does remembering that both our created life that we breathe and that the life that Jesus gives us freely when we enter into new life with him, how does that actually change how we live? Because this is the gospel. This is what's supposed to transform our life. And if these realizations of who Jesus really is isn't continually causing us to try to become more like him and those Things aren't continually causing us to realize He is the one who gives us life. And think we're missing out on the fullness of that life that He promises when we really, really, really choose to believe.
um, is it Peter? I think it's Peter. Says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Is it Peter, one of the disciples? Right? You'll feel like, oh, fear if Declan doesn't know, that's, that's okay, right? Don't feel like a bad Christian anymore. Right? One of the disciples, he says, I believe, Jesus, help me in my unbelief. May that be our prayer today. Whether we know him, whether we don't know him, however long we've known him, Jesus, help me in my unbelief. God, we want to give you praise. We want to say thank you for the gift of part of you, your son, Jesus. Jesus, we want to thank you that you would come and make your dwelling here on earth among us. That you lived, that you died, that you rose again, not just to be a witness or a sign, but so that we could come into relationship and fullness of life with you. We want to breathe in that life, God, every day. Not just the life where we get up in the morning and go about what we're doing, but the your life, your kingdom life, your eternal life, as John says. My connection is unmuted. So we come to the table. We share in the body this little piece of bread that reminds us of your brokenness on the cross. We share in the cup the new promise that you made that this would be a new way that you would come and you would dwell among us. Drink and we remember and we try our best to believe and at the same time we, God, we say, God, help us in our unbelief. Thank you for your presence with us today, God. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to connect with us more, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or you can send us an email through our church website, maramarabaptist.org. See you soon.